Amen, amen, and um, thank you so much, Nate, and the worship team for leading us in worship, and as we were worshiping, the Holy Spirit just laid this passage on my heart. It's from Revelation chapter 5, and it's about the elders and the angels and what we look forward to one day that we will sing forever and eternity. Sunday mornings are a worship rehearsal for eternity, are they not? And this is what Revelation 5 says in verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering in the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped, amen. We are here today to worship our God. What a privilege that is. And we get to do that not just on Sundays, but every day. My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here at Harvest. If this is your first time here, we'd love to meet you after the service. Whether this is your first time or you've been here many times, you're family here. And we're so thankful that you are here. And we're excited to lift high the name of Jesus together and worship. We have so many reasons to be thankful to God today. Amen. One of them is this. It's... Nate's birthday today. Um, so we're super thankful for Nate. It's also Ellie's birthday today. Uh, and probably several other people's birthdays that I might be forgetting. So we're so thankful for that. We're family here. Another reason we have to praise God today, I want to ask for your prayers. They, they said it's okay to share. And it's a praise report, but it's also a prayer. Some of you know, some of you might not know, that David and Joy Blum had a baby boy this week named Gregory. Uh, yeah, he's healthy. He's he's handsome. Got to see him on Friday. He's looking good. Joy's doing well. They transitioned home yesterday, which is an adjustment as many parents know. So just keep them in your prayers. And David and Joy, if you're watching, we love you and we're praying for you and we're we're with you. Um, also super thankful today uh, because we have a friend of Harvest who is here to bring God's word. He's a, a dear friend of mine that I have known for over eight years now. And um, he's just a blessing beyond words. And he loves you. He loves this church for over eight years. He's been praying for you. Um, his name is Pastor Brett Laverne. He's from our sending church, our sister church in Mission, named Mission Church in Lancaster, uh, that we were sent out of eight years ago. Ann and I were to plant this church, and um, they're more than just a sending church. They are family. Uh, we do have the privilege of doing life and ministry together. Um, but I, Pastor Brett is—he's a worship pastor there for over 20 years, um, and he has just poured his heart and soul into the work of God up there, the work of God all throughout Pennsylvania, this country, and this world. And there is never a time that I have not called him and said, "Hey, could you would you do this?" He's like, "Absolutely." With joy. Um, he has resourced our church. He has given his time, his heart, his effort. Um, he has prayed with me. He has cried with me. He's someone that I confide in um, and that I love deeply and dearly and that he loves you. And just thank he is a worship great leader, but more than that, he's a pastor who leads worship. He is a pastor's heart and a shepherd's heart, and I'm excited for him to bring God's word this morning today. Um, and Pastor Brett, would you come on up and let me pray for you as we get rocking and rolling here in God's word. 
Well, Father, I thank you for my brother. I thank you that we can get to live on mission together and spend life together on this side of heaven and for all of eternity, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And Father, right now, I just pray that you would speak in him and through whom we pray for our friends up at Mission Church as they're leading in worship right now and, and sitting under the authority of God's word. I just pray that you would just use Pastor Brett in a mighty way, that you would silence him and that your words would flow. Thank you for his time and his heart and his effort over the last eight plus years with this church, 20 plus years at Mission Church. And God, I just pray that you would just use him mightily in a mighty way for your glory today. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you, brother. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, church. Good morning. morning. Why don't you guys turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and while you're turning there, um, I just want to bring you greetings this morning from Mission Church in... Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I said to Pastor Dan this morning that uh, being here at Harvest Bible Chapel chapel, which is what we used to be called, I might slip up and call our church Harvest, um, and, and if that happens, just just remember that it's just the church, right? It's just, we're all we're all serving in the in the kingdom of God, and but you know we do have, you know how like. Uh, Sometimes you have the jar at, at your house that you have to put like a dollar in or something like that. Well, we have multiple jars at our church because we've been called different things over the years. We've been called, we started out as New Song, then we changed to Harvest, now we're Mission, and Lord willing, that's gonna be the name that we keep for quite a long time because changing your name tends to be an expensive endeavor. Um, but anyway, uh, I wanna bring you greetings from, from Mission Church, and uh, we love your church. We love you guys so much and what God is doing through you. I want to bring you greetings as well from Pastor Jerry, uh, who's preaching this morning. If you think of it, if God just prompts you this morning, pray for him, because he is actually probably wrapping up his first message uh, of the morning right now, but he was not feeling well. Um, So uh, if you think of it, if God prompts you, just be praying for him this morning. Um, He is such a faithful leader. He's such a powerful and passionate preacher of God's word, and um, uh, he, he loves this church as well. And uh, uh, like I said, we, we, love, we love this church, and Pastor Dan, I just love you so much. Um, the, you guys have an awesome pastor. You really do. Yeah, yeah. Praise God for that. And praise God for that. I got to say that I think Dan Hammer might be the most encouraging person on the planet. Like, um, I get text messages from him that are no less than 500 characters and, uh, and always gushing with just thank you, love you, hope you're doing well, how's your family, um, love partnering together with you in the mission. And uh, Dan, the feeling is so mutual. I know my texts come back a little bit shorter than that, um, but there's a lot packed into those few words that I, that I tend to text back to you. Uh, I just love you. You so much, and uh, I am so excited that uh, God has brought Nate Pine to you guys. Um, yeah, you can clap your hands for that as well. Um, I've talked with Nate a number of times on the phone uh, prior to prior to you guys coming together to partner in ministry as well. And I and I and and I um, agree with what Dan has shared to me about you is that uh, you are someone with tremendous depth. 
um, that uh, you bring to this ministry to help people to grow in, in the depth of their knowledge of the love of God, of the gospel, of the rich truths that we find in scripture. So I'm excited. I'm excited to partner with you, Nate, and uh, to continue partnering with this church in, in lots of different ways. So um, it, it feels like family here. It really does. And uh, it's such a privilege for... Uh, for me to be here, and honestly, Nate, I, I gotta just say this, your team, you and your team just led us so well this morning. And um, they led us so well to just speak back to God, right? To speak back to God what, what is on our hearts. That's what us as worship leaders are, are, are tasked to do, is to really put words in our mouths uh, to, to to speak praise and honor and adoration to God. And as we were singing, holy, holy is the Lord and, and worthy, and you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And, and we just wanna meet with him today, amen? That's what we're here to do. We're here to, we're here to meet with him. And, and it's my task now um, to continue leading us in worship. The worship hasn't ended. Um, because worship is response. Worship is response to what God reveals about himself to us. And so it's my task this morning to, um, to continue to help us uh, to worship as God speaks to us uh, from his word. And, and I am well aware that it is a sober responsibility to do that. It is a sober responsibility to stand behind a pulpit, to open up God's word, and to share it. Uh, there's no man on the planet who's worthy of that calling, but yet God is so gracious to give that calling to individuals. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just a weight. It's just a weight that Pastor Dan and all senior pastors who preach week after week carry. And so it just, it just, it just makes me wanna pray again this morning. Can we pray together? Can we pray together? Father, I just come to you this morning um, and I ask that you would open up our hearts to what you have to say to us today. I pray, God, that the seed of your word would fall on fertile soil, Lord, starting in my heart and then in each of our hearts here as we, as we listen. And, and God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign today to speak, to convict, to comfort, to challenge, to exhort, maybe to admonish, Lord. Whatever, whatever is needed, Lord, in this place, in each of our hearts, God, would you, would you do your work? And would you, as Dan said, just hide me behind the cross? Let your cross, let Jesus be the one that our affections land on today, that, that, our, that our hearts yearn for today, that our ears long to hear from today, and that we focus on today. And when people leave this place, we would say, what an awesome Savior and God we have. So Lord, for these moments, I pray that you would uh, move in our midst, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, I've uh, understood from Nate and from Pastor Dan that, that you guys have all been walking through the book of Titus, right? 
Am I, am I right about that? Good. You can talk to me. You can tell me stuff uh, because that's just is so, it's so helpful to someone who's preaching God's word to know that like, yeah, yeah, they, they heard what I said. Yeah, they're tracking, right? Right, so bobbing heads and not, not in like trying to stay awake kind of bobbing heads, but like, but like bobbing heads, yes, yes, we're with you. We're with you, preacher. But um, I understand that you guys are in the book of Titus and... Uh, particularly just most recently in Titus chapter two, I had a chance to listen to Pastor Dan's message from last Sunday about, um, about masters and slaves, right? Or, or the contemporary sort of application of that being, being uh, bosses and employees. And, and, um, and if you look at the whole of, uh, of, of Titus chapter two, and you think about older women and younger women and older men and younger men and, and how we relate to one another in the body of Christ in the church, and then, and then you think about what Pastor Dan preached last week about like how we interact with those who are in authority over us. Let me ask you, what do you think when people begin to apply these principles to the world? What do you think is gonna happen? You think it's gonna be just... Smooth sailing, you think it's gonna be like, yeah, this is pretty easy, you know? This is, this is, this is a piece of cake. Okay, so you said no, good. Thank you for talking back to me, right? All right, so you said no, right answer, right answer. You know what's gonna happen? Resistance. Resistance is what's gonna come when we seek to apply things like, like what Paul was telling Titus to teach the church to do in Titus chapter two. They're, uh, they're gonna experience resistance from their own flesh, from their own hearts, right? Like maybe even as you're sitting and listening to God's word sometimes, you can feel the battle going on in your heart of saying like, like man, my life doesn't look like that and quite frankly, I'm okay with that sometimes, right? Maybe, may, and that's, that's our flesh battling with the spirit of God in our lives. So there's that resistance that comes. There's also the resistance that comes from, from the world system. Like we're embedded in a culture, right? We're embedded in a, in a culture that is so far from what the scriptures call us to. And we're, uh, we as the church, as Harvest Bible Chapel Annapolis, as Mission Church in Lancaster, uh, we, are, we are embedded in this culture as a gospel lighthouse. And listen, sometimes that light experiences resistance. Sometimes the message that we preach, sometimes the lives that we live, sometimes the things that we say no to, uh, uh, while everybody else is saying yes to, those things are not, uh, those things that don't fall on friendly ears, right? So we can experience resistance in that way and then we can, resi- we can experience resistant, resistance from the enemy himself, from the devil and his army. And this resistance is what we call spiritual warfare. This resistance is what we call spiritual warfare. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. You know, I know that when, uh, when Pastor Dan has come to Lancaster and he's preached at our church, man, it, it is just, it's such a breath of fresh air. And God has used uh, the, the few times that he has come to our church to just really, to just really do special things in our midst. We've, we've, 
we've talked about his messages uh, long, uh, long beyond when he preached them. And, and, and I know that you guys get that kind of preaching every week, and so I know that all of you 100% are 100% in on applying every single word that he says to your lives, right? Right? I know that that's the case, and I know that that, 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 that being the case, that, that you all are going to be experiencing some spiritual resistance, some spiritual warfare. You guys are entering the battlefield um, because, because when you start to do things like Titus chapter 2 talks about, or the book of Titus, listen, there's resistance. The devil doesn't want that to happen. The devil doesn't want that ground to be taken, and so each one of us, as we apply God's word to our lives, Listen, we're going to experience spiritual warfare. And so that's what I want to talk to us about today. You know, maybe you've been sharing the gospel with people in your lives and experiencing rejection or, or ridicule. Maybe, maybe your spiritual battle has been with the doubt, with the discouragement, with the grief that comes with just tremendous personal loss. Maybe you've lost a loved one. We, we deal, you know, the economy today, inflation, all of that stuff, like financial struggles are happening in our lives, and that, that, can, be, that can be a spiritual battle within our hearts as we, as we battle worry, right? As we get anxious over, am I going to be able to pay my bills? Relational struggles. These things are all happening. So we need to, we need to take a moment, pause pause today from the book of Titus and look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and what God, what Paul has to say about spiritual warfare. So this, uh, just to set up the context a little bit, I want to talk about the book of Ephesians. Um, it's uh, written by the apostle Paul to a church that, that he planted, that, that he spent three years ministering at. And this book, after he left Ephesus, he writes back to the church in Ephesus and asks this letter that goes to Ephesus to be passed around to the other churches that are in that region. And it's really this manifesto on what it means to be the people of God in Christ. And, 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 it, and it talks about how to live out our identity in Christ in community with one another as well as in our homes and Kind of like what Paul has been talking about in the book of Titus. So as a review, Paul has just written some uh, incredibly glorious things about these amazing realities in chapters one through three where we've been called by new names because we're chosen by the Father. We're adopted into the Father's family. We've been called to new life through faith in the Son. We've been called to new security because we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been called to a new family. We're peace with God and get this, even our former enemies is not only possible but normal in the family of God. In this context, Jews and Gentiles come together into this one new man, the church, and they get along. Anybody ever uh, have a, an experience of it's maybe a little difficult to get with someone and get along with someone in church? Okay, yeah. There's a couple honest people, uh, and, and then, there's, then there's everybody else, you know, who is, I know you were raising your hands in your heart. 
all right? So in light of these realities, Paul then in chapters four four through six in the book of Ephesians tells us what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling as the church. He says we need to be united. We need to grow in maturity. We put off the old ways of the flesh and we put on the new ways of the spirit. We, we, we walk in the spirit and as we walk in the spirit, there's a mutual submission that we have to one another. And then Paul outlines what this mutual submission is in what's known as a household text at the end of chapter five and the beginning of chapter six where he addresses husbands and wives and he addresses uh, parents and children. He addresses masters and slaves. And he says, he says in those in those places, uh, uh, how we're supposed to relate to one another, very much similar to what Titus, what you've been studying in Titus. And then, interestingly, he quickly switches gears and talks about, starts to talk about the armor of God. This idea that we're in a spiritual battle, that there's spiritual warfare going on in our lives. And, and you have to ask the question, why? Why does Paul make this quick transition from talking about what's happening in our homes and our regular lives into this like heavenly reality stuff of, of spiritual warfare? Well, I think it's because healthy homes are the building blocks of healthy churches. And healthy churches are what God uses to make disciples and multiply other churches. Friends, friends, this is what the mission is, right? Right? We are established in our homes. We're established in our individual relationship with God, which helps us to establish, become established in our homes, which then helps us to become a healthy church, which then a healthy church then grows and multiplies and, and, and plants other churches. And when that happens, the mission is being fulfilled. The great commission that Jesus gave to us is being fulfilled, and, and Satan sits back on his couch and says, ah, that's all right with me, right? No. No, Satan is not going to sit back and let that happen. He doesn't want the church to take, take ground that was his. He's going to resist that. He's going to fight that. He's not happy when the church is healthy. And, and, and I've seen this in our church. I've seen this in, in, in our, our church uh, campus that we have in, in Myerstown. There's a, a town uh, north of Lancaster called Myerstown uh, that, that a group of believers about nine years ago came to us and, and said, we've been facing some spiritual battles of our own and we need some help. And so we, we began to partner with them. We began to, we began to uh, do ministry together with them. They became a campus. They became Mission Church Myerstown campus. And, um, and for these last nine years, we've been serving together and we've been, uh, we've been doing ministry, campus ministry really. And, and for, for these nine years, we've seen tremendous spiritual warfare at that campus. As we've seen in our own, at our own campus, it's not like it's worse there and better somewhere else. It happens all over the place. But, but at that campus, we've seen 
struggling marriages. We've, we've, we've experienced failures in leadership. We've, 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 seen, we've seen people have tremendous health struggles. But you know what else we've seen? We've seen God heal people. We've seen God heal marriages. There was a, there was a marriage in Myerstown where, the, where the, the husband had just completely forsaken his family, wouldn't talk to anybody at the church, and, and, and in a moment came to his senses and came back to his wife who had been praying and his four kids, all teenagers and younger, and said, I don't know what I was doing. What is that? That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ getting on its knees, putting on the armor of God and saying, no, we're gonna fight back. We are not going to give up. We are not going to, we are not going to let this, this wayward one go. We're gonna fight in this spiritual war. And by God's grace, Next Sunday, next Sunday, our Myerstown campus is becoming Mission Church Myerstown as its own autonomous church. With a full group of elders and a senior pastor and a worship team and a budget and the whole nine yards. Why? Because those people have engaged in spiritual warfare, having put on the armor of God. It's awesome to watch God do what only he can do, but we have a part in it too. And we have to put on the armor of God as we read in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 20. So let's read that together this morning. Ephesians six, 10 through 20. Paul says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word to us this morning. Now I want you to notice that before 
Paul jumps into uh, the actual individual pieces of armor. He kind of sets up this section uh, by telling the Ephesians why they need to get all dressed up. He says we've got to stand firm in the armor of God because, listen, we need real strength against an enemy who is real so that we can fight in a battle that we can't see with our physical eyes. So we're gonna focus in on those first four verses of that passage, uh, verses 10 through 13, where we're gonna see that the big idea this morning, the big idea, if you might wanna write this down, is that uh, we are called to stand firm and fight in the spiritual battle. We're called, God calls us to stand firm and fight in spiritual battle. We need to stand firm to fight the spiritual battle that we're in. And fighting in spiritual battle means we must, point number one, we gotta stand firm in his strength. Stand firm in his strength. If you guys are taking notes, you wanna write down, point number one, stand firm in his strength, in his strength. He says, Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He starts off by saying finally, which means, which means from this point forward. So is it just like this, this thing like, well, you know what, we're at the end of the book, how am I gonna end the book today? Uh, uh, finally, let's just talk about this little thing. No, what he's saying is, listen, listen, finally, after I've written all of this to you now, this finally, this final word is what I want you to, what I want you to be the last thing that you hear before you go and try to apply all of this that I've written to you in these previous six chapters. And he's doing this because he's gotta understand, he's gotta understand that, that, that after they've read through this letter and all that Paul has said about the administration of the church in this letter, the, 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 the people of Ephesians are like, like they've been sitting behind this fire hydrant of, of, of spiritual truth and, and they've gotta be going like, wow, Paul. Like, that was a lot. How, how is it that, how is it, Paul, that, that we're gonna do this? Like, you expect that of us? God expects it of them. And so Paul says, finally, all you have to do is be strong. He's just like, yeah, it's easy, be strong, right? Um, okay. So we lose a little bit of what Paul's actually saying here in the, in the English translation. There's some, there's some Greek words that are used here that help us to, um, to understand what Paul's actually saying. And so he starts off uh, explaining how to be strong, right? And, and, and the first words there, he says, finally, be strong. That word strong, or, or be strong, is, is, is the verb form of the, of the word dynamis in, 
in the scriptures. And, 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 and if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard uh, pastors talk about this word dynamis. It's where we, we, where we get our word dynamite, right? Like the, so dynamite's a pretty powerful thing, right? And, and, and so Paul says, uh, he's talking about the verb form of dynamis, which is inherent power. It's natural ability. It's, it's this permanent, essential, characteristic attribute of God's power. But, but the verb form, the tense that he's using here is what is called a passive imperative. Imperative is a command, but passive means passive. Like, and so what, what it's saying, it could be actually translated as be made strong. Because what happens with a passive imperative is the subject of the verb is being acted upon from the outside. It's being acted upon from the outside. So the subject of the verb is not the one who's doing the action. The, the, the subject of the verb is the one who's being acted upon. And so what Paul's saying here is that, that we are to be made strong. Being made strong is something that God does on our behalf. What kind of strength is it? It says, it says, be made strong in the Lord. In the Lord. And then he goes on to say, be strong or be made strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In the strength, that word strength is the Greek word kratos, which is another word that can be translated, it's kind of a synonym for, for power, for strength, for might, and what it means is that it's a demonstrated, clear, obvious power. It's manifested. This is the, the, kratos is the kind of power that we can see right before our eyes that God is doing something Amazing. So he says, be made strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His, that word might is the Greek word iskis, another synonym for, for this idea of power or strength. It means, it means endowed physical power, but notice whose power it is. It's his might. It's his iskis. So in this one phrase, this one sentence, in, in this verse, we see three synonyms for power. All of them have slightly different emphases, but all of them are pointing to what? They're all pointing to the power of God. So the idea here is that if we try to fight spiritual battles on our own, with our own strength, we're done for. We will lose. But if we are made strong in the strength of his might, we can't lose. So how do we do this? I'm supposed to be strong, but I'm supposed to be made strong. So... Maybe, maybe this is the way, maybe this is, how, maybe this is how you do it. Maybe you're just, like, you're just like, okay God, make me strong. <laughs> and I don't, nothing, nothing, nothing happened, nothing changed. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe my faith wasn't enough. No, we don't believe that, right? Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I just need to go, maybe I just keep, keep knocking on the door of heaven, right? Make me strong, Lord. Make me strong. But I need that kind of quick. Friends, you know that I'm being goofy, right? You know that I'm being silly. That's not how it works. See, we're made strong in the strength of the Lord. But God calls us to more than just this mystical passivity that expects God to wave the magic wand over us and poof, I'm a spiritual Dwayne Johnson, right? We have responsibility to be made strong because look what Paul says next. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. Put on is a middle imperative. It's not passive. It's not passive. It means the subject of the verb is acting upon itself. That means that if you don't put it on yourself, you won't be able to stand. So there's this balance between God making us strong and us participating with him in being made strong, in us submitting to him. This is, how, this is the dynamic, this is the balance, this is the healthy tension in spiritual warfare, but it's a healthy tension in so many other areas of our Christian lives. It's the same thing with ministry. Colossians 1.29, Paul is talking about him preaching the gospel and ministering and teaching, and he says, for this I toil, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works, that he powerfully works within me. You see both. It's the same thing with evangelism. First Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the growth. It's the same thing in sanctification. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, I got that. I can, I can work hard. I can work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Not, not that I would work to be saved, but that I would work because I'm saved, right? But, but look, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm working out my own salvation. Why? Because God makes me willing and strengthens me to do so. So how is it that we're made strong in the strength of his might? Well, maybe you've heard this phrase before. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. We're made strong friends. We put on the armor. When we get in our prayer closet, when we spend time with God meditating on, rejoicing in, and thanking God in prayer for the truth that he's revealed to us. He's revealed his truth to us for the righteousness that he's imputed to us through Christ. For the peace we have in the gospel. Do you notice how these are lining up with the armor? 
for the peace we have in the gospel, for the faith he's gifted to us, for the salvation he's purchased for us, for the word he's spoken to us, and for the access that we have to him in prayer. So my question for you by way of application is, have you done that recently? Have you sat down and thanked God for the glorious realities of all that you've received because the Spirit lives in you. Or maybe the better question is, when's the next time you're going to do it? It's so important for us to recognize who we are in Christ to recognize what we've been given in Christ and to recognize when we go into the battlefield, when we go into that struggle, when we face that temptation, when, when that person says that thing to us and we wanna respond. No, I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit in me. Jesus has given me his righteousness. I am righteous before God, and he calls me to live that righteousness out. Friends, the armor of God that we read about in this passage is the strength that he's talking about. It is his might. And Paul tells us to put on the whole armor, every single piece, because if we don't, there's no way we're gonna be able to, point number two, stand firm against spiritual enemies. Stand firm against spiritual enemies. So before we talk about who the enemy is, let's look at who the enemy isn't, because verse 12 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So that's who we don't wrestle against. So guess what? The enemy is not the person who cut you off on the way to church this morning. The enemy is not the child or the spouse who didn't clean up after themselves this week. It's not the opposing team or their coach. It's not the coworker that got the promotion over you or the boss who gave it to them. A little bit of application from last Sunday. It's not the mechanic who overcharged you. It's not the customer service person you spoke to on the phone or their supervisor or their supervisor. Friends, it's not the township. It's not the governor. It's not the president or the politician or the dictator. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, does this mean that there's a demon under every rock? I think I see one under that chair. No, that, no this is a good place. This, we're, we're, we're safe here. No, we have, there's, there's other enemies as well. Like we, said, like we said earlier, our flesh battles against us, right? Our, our sinful desires that are within us are an enemy. 
the world system outside of us. But the point here that I think Paul is making is that sometimes we just need to take a step back from the situations that we face and the surface issues that we see with our physical eyes, and we need to have discernment about what's going on behind the scenes. There are all kinds of unseen influences that are happening with every situation that we face. There's psychological ones, physiological ones, emotional ones, even sociological uh, systems that are, that are set up that are, that are at play in every difficult situation that we face. But friends, don't, don't forget that there's always and maybe even primarily a very real spiritual enemy who is roaring like a lion, seeking whom he would want to devour. And that enemy is the devil himself. I mean, that's, that's what I'm, this is God's word to us, friends. This is what, this is, this is real. I think in our culture, we, we can struggle with this sometimes because, because we have all the stuff, right? And, and we, and you know, we're, we're a little bit, we're a little bit divorced from the, from, you know, the typical, like, no, nobody's like, nobody's like carving idols, right? And nobody's bowing down to these carved idols, but we, ha- we have these idols. And listen, with the carved idol or with the, metaphy- the metaphysical idol, there are spiritual forces behind those things that are drawing us away from God. And I think what Paul is doing here is seeking to open the Ephesians' eyes to these things. He's seeking to open our eyes to these truths. It's crucial then that we know who our enemy is. And I think we see three things about our enemy in, in these verses. In these verses. He says, Paul says there again in, in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the first thing that we see there is that the devil is powerful. How do we get that? Well, what we can do is, is look, at the, look at that verse in the negative. Look at that verse in the negative. Paul states it in the positive, but if we would say, if we don't put on the whole, whole armor of God, what? We won't be able to stand against his schemes. Why? Because the devil is powerful. Way more powerful than us. as human beings. Secondly, we see that he's crafty because it says he's a schemer. He's, he's scheming. We need to stand against the schemes of the devil. So he's scheming, he's crafty, he's cunning, he's planning, he's plotting, he's, he's strategic, and he's subtle. He's subtle, friends. What are his schemes? Well, let's just look at, the, look at the armor that we've been given. We, we wear a belt of truth, right? So Satan lies to cloud the truth. John 8, 44 says he's a liar and the father of lies. 
Um, we have a breastplate of righteousness, so he tempts us toward unrighteousness. In verse, in, in, in verse three of chapter four of Matthew, he, he's tempting Jesus. We wear shoes of the gospel of peace, so, so, the, so the, the evil one causes suffering to steal our peace. First Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, your adversary the devil, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering, the suffering that was brought about by that roaring lion uh, is, are, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There's a shield of faith, so he blinds people to saving faith in 2 Corinthians 4. We wear a helmet of salvation, so, so what, is the, what does the evil one do? He accuses us. Listen, when he, then, when he tempts us and we fall to that temptation, he then stands over us and accuses us and says, ha, look what you did. How can you call yourself a Christian? We've got a sword that's the word of God, but, but Satan actually can take that sometimes and twist it and try to use it to deceive us. In Genesis 3, he says to Eve, right, did God actually say that? In Matthew 4, he actually tries to use that tactic on Jesus by quoting God's word to Jesus himself to try to trick Jesus into doing what he shouldn't. Friends, these things are subtle. John Stott says this about Satan's tactics. He says, it's, it, it is because the devil seldom attacks openly, preferring darkness to light, that when he transforms himself into an angel of light, we're caught unsuspecting. He's a dangerous wolf, but enters Christ's flock in the disguise of a sheep. Sometimes he roars like a lion, but more often is as subtle as a serpent. We must not imagine, therefore, that open persecution and open temptation to sin are his only or even his most common weapons. He prefers to seduce us into compromise and to deceive us into error. So we need to be aware. We need to be watching because he's crafty, he's a schemer, he's powerful. And the third thing is he's evil. He leads these forces of evil. The passage talks about this present darkness, right? And the Greek word that's used here for evil is poneria. And it's defined as the active exercise of a vicious disposition. The active exercise of a vicious disposition. So if you can imagine the most vicious disposition, like the junkyard dog or, or whatever comes to your mind that is, that is vicious, and then imagine that vicious thing coming after you. That's the evil that we face. That's what we're wrestling with. And you know, 
even talking about this this morning, it, it could be scary for some of us. It should result in some gravity in our hearts, in our minds, some, some caution. Because Satan is not to be trifled with. We cannot take him lightly. But before we get freaked out and paralyzed by this, we gotta, we gotta remember that there are some things that the devil and his demons are not. Number one, they're not all powerful. Only our God is all powerful. Jesus tells the demons what to do and they have to obey him, right? Uh, uh, the demons and, and the devil himself, they're not all knowing either. They don't know everything, God does. They're also not omnipresent. They're not everywhere all the time. Think about this. Jesus casts the demons out of the demoniac and he sends them into the pigs. What happens? They go from one place to another. They're not in both places at the same time. They're not omnipresent. But our God is. And friends, we need to remember this God's word teaches us this and gives us comfort. We as believers in Jesus Christ, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are protected from demon possession. You are protected from demon possession. But if you're not a believer, if you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, you're susceptible. Now, Satan and his forces can oppress us as believers, but they cannot possess us all Christians, even worldly believers, are indwelled and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 teach us. The spirit and the forces of evil are incompatible and cannot dwell in the same person. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? These things cannot be together. And, and, and we have the Holy Spirit. As believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has taken up permanent residence in us and therefore the, the darkness of the kingdom of evil cannot reside in the same place. Hallelujah, thank you God. 1 John 5.18 says God protects us from the evil one. For those, everyone who has been born of God, God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. And then 1 John 4.4 4 says he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Thank you, God. Friends, this, this should give us great confidence in our God. But listen to this. Listen, it does not give us the license to think that we can boss Satan around. Because even the archangel Michael didn't presume to do that. In Jude chapter nine, it says, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Even the archangel Michael, who's, again, way more powerful than us, he even said, you know what, I'm not gonna mess with Satan, the Lord take care of you. 
I'm hiding myself in his mighty fortress. But friends, we're still in a battle. We're still, we're still desperately dependent on the Lord's strength. Remember, we need to be made strong in his strength. And that is so crucial because this fight that, that, that we're in, this battle that we're in is called wrestling. It's wrestling. It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And what is wrestling? It's close. It's in your face. It's hand-to-hand combat. Friends, spiritual battle, spiritual warfare is not like launching a grenade. It's It's not a spiritual drone strike. It's, it's, not, it's not stealth bombers. It's, it's grappling. It's intense. It's grueling. It can sometimes be violent. And we fight with a sword and a shield and a helmet and a breastplate and a belt and shoes So what does this mean for us? Number one, we, we, we must, we must actually appropriate, actually utilize the armor that we've been given. But it also means that we are called to wrestle together, together. Look what it says. It says we wrestle. We wrestle. Listen, every command in this section is plural. Every command is given to the entire church, not just individuals. It's, it's not, the spiritual battle that we're in is not just a solo match. Maybe it's more like a, maybe it's more like a tag team match or, 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 you know what, even better yet, maybe it's like a battle royale, right? We're all in the ring together. We're all fighting on each, on, on each other's behalves. We all come to help one another. When, when one person goes down, the other two pick him up. We wrestle together. You know, I recently had a conversation with a friend who's, who's, who was in the thick of, of spiritual warfare. Just these thoughts. And, and this guy, is, this guy is, is, is normally very upbeat, very positive, very just, and, and he was battling all of these discouraging thoughts, insecurity, doubts, questioning God's calling in his life. So what did we do? We sat down and we prayed together. And we prayed through each piece of armor. And it helped him to, to, to remember who he is in Christ, what he's been given. But it also helped him to understand where and how Satan was deceiving him and lying to him and accusing him. And it reminded both of us of who we're created to be and that we're secure in our relationship with God no matter what the circumstances are. So, 
Maybe just take a moment. I don't know if you need to close your eyes or just in your heart, just ask the Lord, like, God, is there someone in my life that you would want me to pray with in this way? Who needs to know that they're in the truth, that they're righteous in God's sight, that they've received faith, that they know the word of God. Who needs you to help them wrestle? Or maybe the question for you is, who do I need to go to and ask them to help me to wrestle? Friends, when we come alongside each other in the battle, it it helps us. We fight this fight together, and it helps to remind us that we've got to stand firm in God's strength. We can point, we can point to the fact that maybe, maybe there's something going on where you're trying to do this on your own. Have you gone to the Lord? We need to fight in his strength. We need to stand firm in his strength against these spiritual enemies. But we also need to remind each other that our victory comes when we stand firm by surrendering. That's the third point. Our third point today, stand firm by surrendering. And we're landing the plane with this. Uh, Verse 13 says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Notice, Paul switches the language here and he, he, he changes from putting on the armor to taking up the armor. Taking up means, means to lift it up or to carry it. It's different than put on. And, and it gives us the image of a soldier who has been in the barracks. They've got their armor on. Now they stand up and they go to join the front line. And they're called to do that when? What does it say? It says that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. In the evil day, Paul says. And there's a little bit of debate about what Paul actually means by this, but, but one commentator that I read said something that made a lot of sense to me. He said the evil day is when things are at their worst. So, so meaning on Satan's best day, the day when he's done all he can, he's launched all his fiery arrows and he's exhausted all of his schemes. If, if we, having done all, having put on all and taken up all the armor, we will most certainly stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Now notice Paul talks about standing four times in these four verses. He never says, take ground. He never says, charge! I think some people just were surprised by that. (laughs) He never says, advance. And you might notice that the, that the armor that, we're, that we've been given is mostly defensive, right? He simply says to stand firm where you are. What, what is going on here? Pastor Dan, 
We're, we're on mission, right? We're, 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 we're in cooperation with God who's building his church. And what? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We're taking ground. But Paul says, just stand there. What is going on? Why does he say this? Well, if you think about all that he's written in the book of Ephesians, he calls the church in Ephesus, and he calls us, friends, to stand firm because we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. The victory has already been won. When Jesus Christ rose up from the grave and walked out of that tomb, friends, he inspired Paul to write and give us the joy of saying, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's when we put our faith in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and we surrender our lives to his lordship that we join in that victory because Jesus has destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And because of the immeasurable greatness of the Father's power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is far above all authority, all rule, all power, all dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church so that we as his church could stand firm and fight these spiritual battles in the heavenly realms in the strength of his might, knowing that the victory is sure, our hope is secure, and our hearts have been made pure because we've surrendered to the one who is the truth, who is our righteousness, who is our peace, who is the cornerstone of our faith, who is our salvation, and who is the word of God in the flesh. Friends, these are the things that Jesus is in our lives. And when we put on Christ, as Romans 13 and Galatians 3 tell us to, we put on the armor once and for all, and we never lose it. We never take it off. Why? And this is the last thing that I want us to see this morning, because remember in Ephesians 6.10, those Greek words, dunamis, and kratos, and iskis, the power, the might, the strength that secures that armor to our frame is also the exact same dunamis, and kratos, and iskis that Ephesians 1, 19, and 20 says raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. Paul uses the exact same three words in both of those verses. And in Ephesians 1, he says that, these, that this power is what he used to raise Christ from the dead and seat him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Friends, the power of the resurrection is the exact same power that secures us in the armor of God. 
what confidence we have, what strength, what resolve, what perseverance this gives us when we face the trials and temptations on the spiritual battlefield of our lives. So as we conclude today, we need to, we need to be clear. That armor belongs to those who are in the Lord. Those who believe that they're sinners who can't save themselves and have placed their faith on a risen Savior who paid the penalty for our sin. He had no sin of his own. And he defeated the power of death and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of those who place their faith in that message. Of those who by faith choose to believe that we can't fight spiritual battles on our own. That we aren't good enough to earn salvation and righteousness before a holy God. Friends, the strength is not within us. Our culture is telling us to find strength within ourselves for everything. But we don't have it. We don't. God does. But when we access that power and we surrender to his lordship in our lives, friends, that's where we find victory. And I recognize that we're in a military community here and surrender is like the last word on the list. It should be the first word on our lips when it comes to fighting spiritual battles and when it comes to salvation. Surrender is the way to victory. Friends, surrender your life to Jesus and he will place you in a position to fight from victory, to stand firm. Father, we come to you this morning And we confess that there are so many times when we have failed to put on the armor of God. We have failed to recognize that we have access to your strength, that we have access to so many things that you've given us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us. Forgive us for fighting in our own strength. And God, would you help us to relinquish the idea that the strength is within us. The strength is in you.
friends, maybe you're here today and you, you've, been, you've been facing spiritual battles and, and it's not going well. Would you just take a moment and say, God, I'm not sure if I've been fighting this battle on my own, but if I have, Lord, I repent of that. And I pray, God, that you would give me the courage to depend on you and you alone for this situation that I'm facing. God, we know that, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you fight for us. That you are the one who has secured the victory for us. Would you help us to live in that security? Would you help us to stand firm in that strength? Would you help us to fight from that position, Lord? And watch our enemy flee. Work in our hearts, God. Pray this in Jesus' name.